This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 337. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by Mr. Company President, CEO, person, dude, Jacob Paulson. You know, the more titles you give yourself, the more it starts to sound fictitious. <laughs> like this, you know, this is bull crap. <laughs> well, there, there's not, there's nothing uh, uh, special title-wise about me, uh, other than maybe podcast host. You're a director of training. Oh yeah, there's that too. Yeah. And uh, uh, technology, you know, as far as like manufacturing technology, dude. <laughs> you could be the production manager. Production manager, sure, sure. Uh, we're trying to crank out a whole bunch of units of a particular item that, you know, what, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you guys know, and and those of you listening to the audio only, uh, so I, I realize this may be a little bit awkward, but uh, uh, I'm gonna do a Facebook Live a little bit later today, and I'm going to leak something really exciting about our upcoming Guardian Nation uh, gear box, and uh, so if you if you're not able to see it live, well, just go to our Facebook page, okay? So this, this is a good excuse to tell everybody if you're not already liking our Facebook page, you should go you should go like it. Okay, go on Facebook, find you know concealed carry. Just type in concealed carry. Look for our hexagon logo thing. Uh, those of you that are viewing, it looks like that up on the wall there, and uh, like our Facebook page. And if you go to our videos, you'll be able to find the video I do. You, you'll not only find the the live broadcast recorded uh, on Facebook for what we're doing right now, but you'll find a, a Facebook live. I'm going to go live here probably in an hour or so, and uh, leak something pretty exciting. So today's episode is brought to you and made possible by Guardian Nation because of our many, 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 many Guardian Nation members out there. We, we love and appreciate all of you because what you do by being a member of, of the community also supports us, allows us to do this podcast, but also allows us to do some really, really cool and exciting things. And uh, you're going to want to go get signed up for the quarterly box or excuse me quarterly membership right now so you can qualify for the next box jake why don't you explain the details on that just a little bit more yep so qualifying members of guardian nation receive a box of gear every uh every three months four times a year every february may august and november so the next one will ship in mid-august and that one all these boxes are guaranteed to have a minimum retail value of at least 120 dollars. this one coming up in august is going to exceed that of course and it has two products in there that we can't even talk about yet because they don't even exist for sale anywhere. Um, they're they're brand new products to the market and members of Guardian Nation who receive this box in mid-August will be the first ones to get it. And here's the deal. Here's how you qualify. If you just went to GuardianNation.com and you joined today at the just normal monthly level, you paid the normal monthly fee, which is $38.45, you would not get the August box because in order to qualify to get the Guardian Nation box, you must have uh, either been an active member for the three months prior or have paid the equivalent of three months worth of dues uh, before in the month prior. So today, right now, if before the end of July 2019, up through July 31st at midnight 2019, if you go to GuardianNation.com, and you join and and you choose to pay quarterly or annually, then you will be qualified to receive the August Guardian Nation box valued at at least $120. So I'd say it's a pretty good deal. Go pay $115.35, which is what it costs to prepay a quarter of Guardian Nation. And you you have access to all the other benefits of Guardian Nation for the next three months. 
And you're going to receive our upcoming top secret box shipped in mid-August. Yep. <laughs> you're going to want it. I, I promise you. So uh, I know we got some uh, Guardian Nation members watching right now. So that's awesome. Glad to have you guys. And uh, provided that you have been a member long enough, you're going to really enjoy the next box. Super excited about that. All right. So to learn more, go to guardiannation.com and you can find in the menu there how to sign up for the you can certainly choose to sign up for the monthly option. That's fine. You're just not going to get the August box because as Jacob explained, you got to be a member for at least three months uh, prior to uh, prior to August 1st, you know, to get the next box, right? So, so you do have the option though of joining quarterly or annually and you'll get the next box for show. So, all righty. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about kind of an interesting topic. Uh, actually, Jacob, you inspired me with this because you asked this, I think, of me when we were driving to Pittsburgh. And then we were doing an interview with uh, James Yeager, too, uh, on the uh, live uh, you know, TV feed from the show there at the Concealed Carry Expo. And uh, you know, the, it, it, to me, it just was like, this, this is a question I got to ask a guy like James Yeager, you know, because James is kind of those people that everybody views on online, on YouTube, whatever, and kind of probably think sees him as being rather stubborn and maybe, you know, hard headed or whatever. Uh, but it was really interesting when we asked him, James, what's something you've changed your mind about? And I, I, I may have given a time frame. I may have said in the last five years, or I may have just said, you know, recently or something. And it was really interesting to hear his response. And I thought, Jacob, we need something to talk about. Let's, let's do the same thing right here, right now on air. I don't have a ton of prep on this. So I'm going to have to think about it a little bit. I know you'll have to do the same somewhat, but today we're going to talk about in the last five years, what's, what are some of the things you've changed your mind about as it relates to concealed carry, self-defense or firearms or shooting? Now, this is a good question to ask yourself and a good question to ask others. I, I think that the origin of this question is Timothy Ferris. Timothy Ferris, a mm -hmm. best-selling author and his podcast is arguably a top three podcast on planet earth. I think it gets like 7 million downloads an episode or something. And this is one of the, his kind of core uh, questions that he asks most of his podcast guests. And so I, I like the yep. question because, you know, most of us live in great uh, scent uh, of mental balance, right? Where we have our own preconceived notions and any data that comes in, we're able to fit it nice and neatly into our preconceived beliefs. And it's very rarely are, are our beliefs challenged. And, you know, so that, that's just kind of the nature of the beast. So very rarely do, do humans change their minds about something. And so particularly in the gun space, you know, I think that, you know, we're getting very narrow here and saying, you know, what is something that enough data came in that Jacob or Riley uh, kind of felt compelled to have to change, change our mind? Yeah, uh, I definitely changed my mind about things. And I mean, I see this as, no matter where you are, no matter if you are a concealed carrier for, you know, you just had, you've just had your permit for one month, or you've been doing this for five years or 10 years or longer. Some of you have been doing it a long time. Uh, no matter where you are, we're all kind of in this, this journey somewhere along the timeline of a journey from not really knowing a whole lot to maybe knowing quite a bit. But the one thing I know for a fact, I mean, Jacob, the, the more I realize that I know, the less or the more I realize I don't know, you know, like there's certain things that, 
I mean, for instance, let, let me give you an example. So let me tell you something that I've, I've changed my mind about. So I guess I'll be the guinea, guinea pig and go first here on this. Uh, I have changed the way I grip my gun a lot over the last few years. Um, it's become kind of a thing with me, you know, like I, I don't know what, I don't remember first what woke me up, you know, like I don't, I don't know what it was that got me on this kick of I'm trying to like find the perfect grip, you know, and, I, and I'll be honest with you. First of all, I don't know that there is a perfect grip. Uh, and, and let me be careful how you interpret what I'm saying there. Uh, I mean, I do think that there are some some variances and some adaptations that are necessary from person to person to person. At the same time, I do think that there are some basic principles that make a big difference, you know, that are really important that a person understand to helping them uh, grip a gun. And, and most of the time when I'm talking about gripping a gun, I'm, I'm talking from like a defensive context or, and when I say defensive context, Jacob, you know, and I, I know you agree with me on this. Whether it's competition shooting, whether it's defensive shooting, uh, it, to me, it's all the same as it relates to how I grip the gun for the most part. Because competition in, in my area of competition, I should even clarify that, is more of the action shooting type, right? As opposed to marksmanship, bullseye, long distance type shooting, right? So, so with that, it's important that you have not only a grip that allows you to hold the gun securely and aim it precisely and shoot, shoot, you know, your, your rounds, but it also is important that you can manage that recoil effectively. Right. And I think that's true, whether you're action shooting competition or defensive shooting. Right. Uh, I I don't think that you have any disagreement on me with me on that at all. Right. Like you, you would, if you, if you were a competitive shooter, you would probably grip for the most part, similarly to how you grip defensively. Yeah. I, I, um, I mean, this is something in which I wouldn't call myself as well uh, educated or researched as you are, but yeah, I can't imagine why I would hold a gun differently in different contexts. Right. Exceptions would be if I'm shooting like a really tricked out uh, gun, you know, that uh, for instance, like an open division gun or open class gun where I've got a, you know, a go pedal and I've got all these other things that wouldn't exist on a defensive gun that are actually there to enhance certain aspects of how I grip the gun. Uh, and so that would be different. I'm talking like if I was competitive shooting with kind of a stock gun, my grip would pretty much be the same as how I grip it when I'm shooting defensively. So let me give you, so let me now t- kind of spill the beans. I'll kind of give you the evolution of my grip. Not that many years ago, uh, probably seven or eight years ago, I had more of a thumbs high grip. All right. And uh, it, it worked fine, you know, and I also not that many years ago, probably, probably eight or nine years ago, I, I shot with more of a sort of weaver stance. And I will say for sure, seven, eight years ago, I was kind of in the in that, that house of like, there are certain stances. And yeah, that's on like, my list. Yeah. And like, you got to stand a certain way. And Stance has a little bit of an impact on how you grip the gun. For instance, a, a weaver stance is going to change your grip somewhat, right? So, so my point is, at one time I was kind of using the weaver stance, which meant that I was using kind of the weaver type grip. Um, but that's that changed dramatically. So, as I moved from kind of a thumbs high with my support hand being more vertical, that began to rotate further. It's and then at one point I was really aggressively rotating that wrist forward. 
And then in the last probably year, I've backed that off a little bit. Here's the other thing that I've changed as it relates to that. Uh, fairly recently, uh, I instead of really ex extending those arms and maybe even overextending them, I've sort of backed that off a little bit as well and pulled my arms back a little bit where I've got a little bit more of a bend in my elbows. Let me explain why. By having a little bit more of a bend, I mean, do a little simple exercise. If you put your hands together and you hold them straight out with your arms fully extended, and then and you try to like squeeze together really tightly, think about how much pressure I can exert between my hands against something when my arms are fully extended, but then start bringing the hands back closer to the chest, you can start pushing a lot more, right? So I do think that there's benefit to having more of a full arm extension with shooting, but there's also benefit when we can start applying more side grip pressure. And so that's, that would be an example. Just, I'm kind of, I'm not giving you all the details because I would take, <laughs> I could do two episodes probably just talking about grip, but uh, boring. yeah, it really would be. Um, but just to kind of give you kind of a few examples of some things that, that have changed for me as I've gone from, you know, kind of more weaver to really extended and fully locked and then kind of starting to back some of that off and realizing there are other things here. And so I think it's about balance and I think it's about finding that happy medium where, where we get the benefits of an extension, you know, in the arm, but also some benefits of we get good side grip pressure. Uh, so that would be kind of, I think my first thing I'll throw out is that has changed for me in the last few years. Sure. All right. So the first thing I, I did just quickly scribe down some thoughts of things I've changed my mind about in the last five years. And the first one that came to my mind was mandatory training. Mm. So there were several years ago, I think, I think it was 2000, either 10 or 2011 when a law was proposed in Utah, which is where I lived at the time where I was just leaving Utah. I was somewhere in that transition from Utah to Colorado. And the law would basically was going to create constitutional carry and uh, it passed both the state house and Senate and went to the governor's desk and was vetoed. And I wrote a blog post on my then, you know, firearm training website in Utah. And the, the, you know, the effective summary of my post was something along the lines of, you know, thank goodness the governor vetoed this very dangerous, you know, law because, you know, we don't want people running around with guns that don't have training. And at the time that seemed very natural and obvious to me. I, 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 I don't know that anyone had ever challenged that belief for me. I just inherently thought, well, duh, of course people should take a class before they should run around with a gun. And when I wrote that blog post and I shared it on Facebook and, you know, like any good marketer would, oh my gosh, the backlash was wild. <laughs> uh, I mean, people drugged me through the mud. It was like, who's this guy who you know hates our constitution and hates the second amendment? And now we know where you stand. I'm gonna tell everybody to never take a class from you. Um, you know, people like you are ruining, you know, ruining it for everybody and just crazy backlash. And I, I was so shocked by it. I thought, oh my gosh, like what am I missing? You know, like am I am I wrong? And so anyway, long story short, uh had enough data to challenge my belief that I thought maybe I'm off on this topic. And so the more I researched, the more I became educated too. The before, the more that my awareness of the concealed carry world was expanded beyond the confines of my little area in Utah, and it and I got more national scope and under, understood things and got more research and more data. I'm now on the exact opposite side of that spectrum. I think mandatory training is a horrific, horrible, bad thing. So that'd be one very you know thing I'd strongly change my mind about. Cool. 
You know, it's understandable, I, I would say, to, uh, you know, as to how someone would be in that realm of thinking. Now, again, today, if you said something like that, uh, you know, online today, uh, you'll get called a FUD, <laughs> you'll get called all sorts of things, uh, you know, anti-2A, uh, you know, shall not be fr- infringed, all this stuff, right? But again, like, if you've never really had your uh, your your ideas and your beliefs really challenged, it's easy to see how you'd you'd think that. Now, we we, we generally all grow up and, and we see from, you know, throughout our whole lives, like, there are already many restrictions on the Second Amendment, uh, some of which, many of which have even been ruled as constitutional. Okay. Whether we agree with that or not, that's a whole other thing. And, and so you, you grow up in an environment and you come into this world of concealed carry where a permit is just, I mean, it's expected that you would, you would have it to carry. Uh, it's expected that you get training because you don't know any different. And so, and then it, and it, and it is a logical leap to go, well, it's good that people get some training, you know, and if they're carrying a gun, like that's, that's a good thing. It's easy to make that logical leap, but you know, I'm glad that you've uh, opened your eyes on this, uh, Jacob, uh, <laughs> you know, a few, a number of years ago, we had, a, we had a conversation, you know, about this and, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's understandable. So, um, I, I, I don't like to really jump on people's case, you know, when they say things like that in say like a Facebook group, uh, number one, I already know there's plenty of other people that will do that. <laughs> uh, but I don't know that's always necessarily helpful either. You know, like sometimes we're so good at eating our own, you know, uh, it'd be much better to quietly, respectfully, and and patiently just work to educate people and help them see the light, I guess, so to speak. All right. Something else to change my mind about. This one's really easy, this next one, because uh, I could tell you that as of ooh, three years ago, three-ish, three, four, I don't know. I didn't really carry medical gear with me, especially on my person. I mean, I've always had a, a kit of sorts in my vehicle, but uh, but I didn't always have a tourniquet in that kit. And really probably about two, two and a half years ago, it started be becoming more of a thing where I, I really like carry medical gear, tactical medical gear, especially like a tourniquet with me. Um, so, uh, you know, that's been a change definitely in the last five years for me to where now, I mean, e- even at the very least, if I don't have it on an ankle carrier, I have my backpack right here next to me that has a very comprehensive, uh, but simple little IFAC in my backpack right there that goes with me pretty much everywhere. Uh, so at the very least, I, I've got a, a, a really good kit in my backpack. And then frequently I'll have medical gear on my person as well. So that's definitely been a, a transition for me. So it's, it's kind of related to that. I didn't always carry a spare magazine, but probably five or six years ago, I started, yeah, maybe a little bit more than that. I've carried a spare mag for a long time. And I definitely ascribe to the idea now that before you even think about carrying a spare mag, I think you should carry some basic tactical med gear. Uh, By tactical, I mean, we're talking stuff that is likely to come into play in a gunfight. Which would be the two the two most important things right off the bat, in, in my opinion, are a tourniquet and 
chest seals, right? Because we, we're going to see a lot of chest wounds and there is that potential obviously to have extremities where if it's in the extremity, if it's from an arm or, or excuse me, from a shoulder or from a hip down and we can use a tourniquet, awesome. If it's in the chest area, throw us, throw chest seals on, on the, on the individual and, you know, do, do your best to keep them, uh, uh, you know, alive until uh, paramedics can get there. So, so at the very least, I like to see tourniquet and chest seal and, and I always have one with me now. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, that's interesting you said that. I wouldn't have thought of that, but it, I, I remember, I don't know if it was a Garden Nation Live or some event where we were talking to John Korea, and he said something like, anyone who carries a spare mag is a moron. And I was like, um, I have a spare mag. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was one of those moments where like, uh, how come? And not that I'm saying I do, but, um, you know, how, how, what, do you mean, what do you mean? And he said something like, well, I got nothing against you carrying a spare mag, but Way too many people carry a spare mag and not a tourniquet or any other medical gear. And I can't understand how you would prioritize the spare mag over that trauma gear. And so, yeah, that stuck with me too. Like, re- that really resonated in that moment. I was like, oh, crap, good point. Like, yeah. Geez. Yeah. And, and, and I agree. You know what? And actually, what I find myself as of late is actually carrying a spare mag less uh, than I used to. Um, it, right now, I don't have a spare mag on me today. Now I, I am carrying a gun that has a 16 round capacity and yeah, I mean, there's still this part of me. that's like, ah, I should probably have my spare mag with me too, just cause I can't, sure, sure. um, I just forgot it today, you know, like, and I, and I'm not stressing about it. I'm not sitting there going, Oh man, I forgot my spare mag. The reality is the likelihood of me needing that spare mag is like almost nil at the same time. I have personally been on the scene of some pretty serious accidents and things where basic med gear, uh, would, would have been you know, handy to have. Um, and so, so the, the likelihood of needing that medical kit is vastly more important than needing a spare mag. I definitely, you know, I'm a daily carrier as far as a gun. And I would definitely say that for, for me, some of that is the uh, capacity of the gun. Like if I'm carrying the 365, yeah, I'd probably throw on a spare mag on, you know? Uh, so, you know, just cause, cause it's a little bit less, you know, I got a, a more midsize gun with me today, 15 round plus one, uh, I feel generally pretty in pretty good shape with that. The likelihood of in the civilian context of needing more rounds, especially what I'm doing today. I'm not going to any like crazy public areas. I'm not going to be in a prolonged gunfight, most likely, right? Again, I know somebody's going to call me out and say, oh, but you could. Yeah, but you know, we have to live our lives constantly balancing risk and reward. And, and, and it is a balance. And so depending on activity, depending on location, depending on what I'm doing, where I'm going, uh, what kind of environments I'm going to be in, I'm going to, my risk factors may change. They will change. And I'm going to adjust accordingly. Today, I'm driving from my house to my to my work here and from my work back to my house. Uh, you know, and, and by the way, do I have spare things I can go to if I'm in the vehicle and I get in some kind of crazy situation? Yeah, I've got other tools. I'm not going to say what they are, but I have other things in the vehicle. Uh, anyway, so... Um, yeah, I'm with you. And I just wanted to address a question really quick, Jacob. Somebody asked here what IFAC I carry, or did I just put one together myself? Um, now, I did buy one. Probably the first one I started carrying like on a daily basis, like on my person, was the IFAC that's put together by Wilderness Tactical. And it came with tourniquet and chest seals, I think, and and uh, C-Lox Rapid, the Z-Fold, uh, uh, hydros- or uh, hemostatic uh, uh, you know, gauze. And, uh, you know, gloves, you got to have some gloves. That's a good idea. 
maybe a couple other little things in that kit. It's a basic kit, but I'll say this much. You could put together your own kit and I'll just tell you right now, have some gloves, have a tourniquet. I prefer the cat or soft T wide tourniquets. One of those two is ideal. Uh, chest seals uh, and like like either quick clot or Celox Rapid, uh, hemo, you know, any of those hemostatic blood clotting agents. Uh, the, the gauze is really great, okay, because it can be, it's really effective. Uh, that's like the four things. Just build a kit with those four things and that will, oh, and then, you know, probably the fifth thing would be having a compression bandage of some sort, okay? So a lot of people like get kind of decision, you know, uh, paralysis where they're like, ah, I don't know how to put together a kit. Gloves, tourniquet, uh, chest seals, quick clot, compression bandage. And if that's all you had, you're in really, really great shape. Yeah. And the training to apply those things. Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Cool. So something else I've changed my mind about. I don't know how I don't know how many years I'd have to go back, but for a very long time, my EDC gun was a 40 caliber. And mm-hmm. today um, I carry and own a significant number of nine millimeters exclusively. So I changed my mind about caliber. I suppose you want me to expand on that. Uh, <laughs> I was like, did I just lose the feed? Like, did I just lose audio? <laughs> so I guess, you know, when I took my first concealed carry class, which was really my first introduction to anything gun related, you know, I did not, I did not grow up really with guns. The police officer guy who taught me that class back in 2004, uh, he, you know, he sold the 40 caliber. He's like, you know, 45 is, you know, most powerful, but, you know, capacity, whatever, nine millimeters, you know, weak sauce, but high capacity, the 40 is right in the middle. And I think a lot of people feel that way. I think I was not alone. I think that he was not the only guy, you know, you know, spreading that, that story. And so I just thought 40 is where it's at. And that makes sense to me. But the more um, exposure to professionals in the industry and the more I got a, kind of an understanding of, you know, what stopping power really is and how ballistics really work and what the difference is between those different calibers in uh, muscle, muscle, muscle velocity or, or, you know, foot pounds per square inch or, you know, whatever, all these different things and terminology and research. And the more I read it and the more I researched, the more I said, you know, I just don't think the 40 is going to give me much of an edge over the nine millimeter at least it won't give me as much of an edge as having three or four more rounds will. So anyway, I ended up, I ended up switching to nine and I'm, I'm a nine millimeter guy now. And I love the fact that it cost me less money too. Yeah. Uh, so I carried a, I've never really been a 40 guy. Uh, and, and here's the thing, like, let's be clear. This is not a knock on anybody that carries a 40 or anything other than nine. It's not a knock sure. at all. Right. Okay. Like we all have our various reasons for what we carry. I definitely can. I feel like I could justify the nine millimeter for me in my world way easier uh, than I can anything else. It just makes sense in a lot of regards. And Jacob mentioned a big one, which is just simply cost. Like I, I don't care who you are, but it's so much nicer, especially with today's prices right now. It's so much nicer to pay eight ninety nine for a box of ammo for practice than to pay thirteen ninety nine, sixteen ninety nine, eighteen ninety nine. Right. Like it just, it's just so much easier to practice with nine millimeter. It's just, Oh, like that's, that's a huge, huge one for me. And you know what? Nine, 40, 45, they all get the job done, but I carried a 45 up until probably about five years ago. I'm trying to think when I made that actual official switch, maybe five or six years. Uh, I, I still carried it occasionally. I had, uh, uh, uh actually 
an XDM 45 compact I carried still even occasionally, probably four or five years ago. We used it in our photo shoot, Jacob, to create the logo for the Concealed Carry podcast. And I wasn't really actively carrying it at that time, but you know, you're like, hey, like, you know, or maybe it was me, one of us, you know, we decided we need to take some pictures uh, for the website, for the podcast, for our logo, whatever. And for whatever reason that day, I brought a, an XDM 45 compact and a crossbreed holster. You know, and that's that's what's on the current album art of the Concealed Carry podcast. Uh, my, my personal my personal gun. I actually don't have that gun anymore. Uh, but uh, yeah, speaking of which, that's a that's a easy segue for me, Jacob, to just say that I've changed my mind on some things. I don't really care for hybrid holsters anymore, like at all. Um, I've and I, and I know this is like, this is a little bit controversial because like even between you and me, like you and I, we have different philosophies on holsters. Um, You're also a holster snob. I, well, I mean, yes, that, I mean, that's true. Um, I, I, I was, I've been on the grip kick, you know, I've also well, been like. To clarify, I did not mean snob in any negative connotation, only that you yeah. are a person who's always on the prowl and you try every holster you get your hands on and you're just. You're, you're a holster snob. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to know what's out there, you know? And, and the, the, the crazy thing is there's so many holsters, right? Like, yeah, there just isn't enough time in your lifetime to try all the different holsters, but, but just to kind of get educated, like, okay, I know how that works. I know how that works. I know how this feels. I know how that fits. You know, like I've got a pretty good basis of, of knowing what, what works well in holsters, uh, what doesn't, you know, like what features are important, that sort of thing. And again, even some of that, there's there's some personal preference, but I but I do think, uh, debatably, that there are there there is the ideal holster. Uh, you know, it, it, people will tend to think, well, that's not ideal for me. It's a it's a comfort thing. I get that to an extent, but at some point, I think there's times we have to make uh, like carrying a gun shouldn't necessarily be comfortable. Carrying and having my gun, the idea of that is what brings me comfort. Uh, do I make a concession a little bit on some comfort things? Yeah, I do. Carrying any gun, period, in any holster pretty much, uh, on your person at least, changes your comfort factor. Some definitely way more than others. Uh, but uh, And obviously where we can impact that comfort factor uh, the least, meaning, you know, negatively detract from comfort, the more likely we are to be encouraged to carry. And I understand that, but there, are, I think are some basic things, at least in my world that I think are important as it relates to holsters with, with regards to, I had that crossbreed holster for a long time, and this is not a knock on crossbreed. I love crossbreed. I think they're good, good people and a good company and they make a good product. It's a quality product. It's more of the design of the holster that I no longer really care for the idea of a hybrid holster that usually has a sweat guard and a you know flap essentially that over time especially over time but even from the beginning can cause some problems with reholstering and, and different things there and also can interfere with the grip so again there are some holsters and manufacturers that do a little bit better job than others in that regard so i have i have moved from where once upon a time i used a lot of kind of hybrid holsters to now everything is all kydex, you know, or, or polymer, you know, it's, it's a hard sided holster all the way around. That's both from a convenience standpoint of reholstering and, and, uh, for training purposes, I think that's really key. Uh, but, uh, also it's a safety thing, like for sure. Like, you know, when you've got a hard sided holster on, 
all sides of the gun and trigger guard and all that. Like you have nothing to worry about. The only thing you have to worry about is when you're reholstering, you got to make sure, and this is true of any holster. You got to make sure that things are clear out of the way, not interfering with the trigger or trigger guard. Um, but, uh, you know, and then the other thing is security and knowing the holster is where it is and stays where it's supposed to stay and stays put when you draw. And it just, there's just so many things there. So anyway, um, you know, I've, I've changed in the last few years for sure on my viewpoints with holsters. And also you, you noted that I, I no longer have that XDM 45. Um, I have seen enough instances of, of problems with certain kinds of guns and brands of guns that uh, I, I tend to stay a little bit more to, you know, to the ones that I currently think are, are the best on the market for defensive purposes. <laughs> so again, that could become a whole other discussion and debate even, but uh, anyway. Mm, sure. So I've changed my mind about the need of a quality belt. I definitely went probably my first, yeah, maybe even a decade or I don't know, maybe less than a decade, but I went a long time carrying a gun with just a standard boring uh, dress belt. And that is something I've definitely changed, changed my mind about. So, oh my gosh, my dog is getting all wrapped up in my stuff here. <laughs> all right. So, so yeah, belt made a lot of changes relative to belt. So I, you know, I just used a very boring cheapo, like the cheapest thing money could buy belt. And, uh, that is, that has changed a lot. So yeah, now, now I'm, I'm into the, I don't know if, you know, gun belt is, we can use that term if you want, but something that's stronger and more rigid. Yep. Yeah. And I'm with you there too. Uh, I, I think I've understood the importance of a, of a good belt, maybe a little bit longer than you, but, uh, there's definitely that point, you know, I don't, I don't know if I could give an exact timeline, but definitely at some point I was like, Hmm, this belt, because I had this one belt, it was a it was a 100% you know good nice leather belt, but it didn't really have any rigidity to it, right? And I carried with that for at least a few years. And you know, there's this point where, so let, let me give this example. This would be a, you know to, to what I just said a minute ago to what you're saying now about belts, Jacob. Um, you know, there's there's this point where you're carrying with a subpar belt in a say a hybrid holster. Now here's the thing with a hybrid holster. Most of them have two clips on either end of the holster and it, clip design is really important, right? As far as how security those clips work. And I'll tell you, I've, I've done a lot of research and changed my mind about what's good and what's not good where it comes to clips too. But uh, so if you, let's say you have a less than ideal or subpar belt and maybe in my opinion, at least a less than ideal holster uh, I remember a time that I was carrying in that same crossbreed holster with my crappy belt by, you know, current standards. And I remember that back clip coming unclipped more than once. And at the time I thought, ah, this is, this is just like, this is just one of those things. This, this just happens, you know, like, it, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know. So you're like, ah, whatever, you know, like, that's too bad. I, I'll have to watch for that, I guess. Now that's just completely unacceptable to me. Like that is not okay. <laughs> and if you're listening and you've ever had a clip on a holster come undone, know that that is not okay. Yeah. Like either a holster problem or a belt problem or both. Or both. Yeah. So, so there, there is uh yeah. Expand your mind and your horizons. There's a different world out there, a whole new world of 
much better gear where it comes to carrying a gun. Well, for me, it was almost a point of pride, right? I loved being able to say, oh, all you with your fancy, expensive belts. I, I don't need that. I got a $10 belt here and it's working fine, right? And I, I almost like thrived on on those little points that you, you know, when you can say things like that. And so, yeah, I definitely turned to 180 on that one. Yeah. Yeah. What's something else for you that uh, you've changed your mind on? You know, carry position would be one. Um, you know, I, I carried about four, four thirty on the on on my you know back waist ish, whatever, you know, four, four thirty for a very, very, very long time. It was really only um, you know, twenty seventeen that I decided to give a appendix carry a shot again. I remember the first time I tried appendix carry. I got a, a holster in the mail from someone they sent me as a sample. And it was manufactured such that it was only meant to be used in appendix position. And I watched the dude's videos and I was like, that looks like the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life, but (laughs) I guess I'll try it, you know? And I strapped that thing on and stood up and walked around a bit and said, oh my gosh, I hate this. And then I sat down and said, oh no, uh -uh, nope, deal breaker. And I I pulled that thing off and said, never again. So, you know, I think appendix carry is something that's getting more common in the industry. I think it's getting more popular, you know, more and more. Uh, credible, high-profile people are endorsing appendix carry. So I think I was just drawn to, I guess I got to give it another shot. And so I, I I prefer appendix carry today for all the reasons that appendix carry is preferable. I still you know, have some back and forth. I'm still a bit of a personal journey there you know, due to you know, the gun I want to be able to carry and my body shape and how and where I can conceal it and get away with that in different positions. Uh, I, can, I, can, I can conceal a larger gun at 430 you know, five o'clock on my waistline than I can at, at one o'clock. So anyway, I have some back and forth issues there. I'm still on a personal journey, but I definitely um, have been converted to appendix carry in theory and where possible in practice. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, let's see, something else I've changed my mind on. I've changed my mind on a, a number of things. And some of these things I've talked about before on the podcast for sure. I was thinking about uh, how I've changed my mind on trigger. Uh, so, like, and this is going to seem really basic to some people, and maybe even su- surprising to others, uh, especially as they, you know, I don't know. Anyway, so I got brought up in the old school way of you know how to hold a gun, how to shoot that gun, how to work that trigger, and the old. And I say the old school way because I mean this is kind of. I mean, if you look at the NRA curriculum nra basic pistol for instance it's based on curriculum from like 30 40 years ago like the 70s and uh you know so there's that whole trigger control trigger manipulation part where it talks about you know you want to press that trigger you know nice and smooth straight back and then you get to the rear the trigger breaks the gun is going to cycle and you want to basically trap the trigger to the rear, hold it to the rear. And then there's this, this, this uh, concept of follow through. So where follow through, you keep doing everything just the same as you were, you know, a second ago, right before the gun went bang, you know, trying to hold everything still where it is, try to keep that trigger, you know, everything pressed to the rear, nothing moves, let the gun cycle, get back on target, get your sights back on. And, and for most people at that point, they probably don't reset their trigger until, they're back on target aiming and okay, click and get that reset. And so, you know, there was definitely this time even with me and even in fairly recent history. And I still think it's not a bad thing. You know, it's, it's, it's actually, I think a 
generally a good thing when a trigger on a gun has a has a pretty decent reset as far as like you know where that reset is and and it's maybe even audible or certainly you can feel it that's it that doesn't ever hinder you in any way but my opinion has changed on you know i used to be kind of like wow like i gotta have like a really clear reset point on that trigger i gotta know where that is i gotta be able to feel it and or hear it um i, I no longer really feel that way quite so much and so you know the way I work my trigger now, especially when shooting at speed, five, ten, ten years ago, certainly, I would have thought that the way I shoot now, I'm slapping the trigger all the time, <laughs> you know. And so, um, you know, it's just it's just funny how things change, you know. And 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 you start to learn and realize what's important and what's maybe not, or at least in certain contexts. Um, I mean, basically, it comes down to you can slap the trigger as much as you want. If you're able to compensate that, especially with a really strong grip. And to some extent, like when you're trying to shoot fast and you're trying to hang onto this gun, you basically need to grip the gun really tight, right? And so if you're gripping really tight, then you can get away with, you know, less than perfect mechanics. Now, obviously, the better the mechanics get, the better off you are overall. But you, you kind of see my point, you know, so there's this point where, if I looked at the shooter I am now, like, and, and you, you didn't give me the whole context, like if I took a video of me up close with my trigger finger, you know, working the, the trigger in kind of like slow motion, first of all, I'd look at that video 10 years ago and be like, what's up with that grip? <laughs> and the second thing would be like, oh my gosh, I'm slapping the trigger. Like I've gotten way worse as a shooter in 10 years, you know? And the reality is like the context is different. The context has changed. And also you, again, like I said, you you realize that, that holding the trigger back and waiting for a reset slows you down. Okay. And, and is not that important when you're trying to shoot quickly on relatively, relatively close targets. Uh, so it's just, you know, it's just funny how things change. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you would bring up the trigger. I have two more on my list and we may only have time for one of them, but the one I think is probably the most prevalent is I've really changed my mind about, the way we have to fight against or, or just the way I perceive the battle against gun rights or for gun rights. I really previously, and I think this is true of a lot of people in our community, was very, very focused on um, the national battle, right? What's happening in the U.S. Senate? What's happening in the U.S. House? What does the president think? And I think that I'm not alone in, in feeling that way. And certainly it seems that's what drives a lot. You know, if you look at industry ten trends, it seems that, you know, what's happening in the White House seems to be what what drives people's sentiments about how likely they are to lose gun rights. But it's it's also just I guess over the last several years I've come to believe that that's significantly less critical to the preservation of the Second Amendment. Um, the only thing in fact at the national real federal level that I really today get worked up or, or think a lot about is the is the US Supreme Court and who the justices are and what cases they're seeing. Beyond that, in today's environment and in the environment of the last decade, it really shouldn't have been something I was as concerned about. What I get a lot more concerned about today is the, is the state-level battles. And so that's something I've changed my mind about. Today, if someone wants to talk about gun control and what we should do and, oh my gosh, what's happening, I want to engage in a conversation about uh, state-level stuff. I want to talk about you know, what's hap- what are the trends that we've seen three or four states do recently, yeah, because that that's what impacts the national things the most. You know, it gets really easy. One one day, someone's going to walk into the U.S. House and say, "Hey, 
marijuana is already legal in 37 states. Don't you think it's about time we just change the federal law? And that's a very different conversation than walking into you know, the U.S. House and saying, hey, you know, marijuana has been legalized in two states. You know, the other 48, it's still legal. Do you think we should change the federal law? Um, th- that's different. And so you know, I've just been watching the, the trends at the, the state level a lot more closely, and I'm more convinced than ever that's where the real fight is taking place. Yeah, I'm with you there too, you know, and uh, more and more people need to get involved in their local uh, political scene as it relates, especially where it relates to the 2A. And, and I think involved in a way that actually makes a difference. And here's the thing. I mean, I fully support going out there and protesting on the steps of your state capitol or holding a rally someplace or staying on some street corner for four hours and holding, you know, pro gun, pro two a signs and, you know, Hey, honk, if you agree, you know, whatever stuff like I fully support that. I mean, we have the right to do that, uh, to peaceably assemble and so forth. And, and like, that's, that's, that's awesome. Like, cool. Good on you. If that's what you want to do. But here's the thing. I think there's a disconnect if we think by doing that, we really do anything that actually helps um, advance the second amendment. I, I'm I'm becoming more and more convinced. I mean, this has been in the last you know couple of years. Like, I've participated in similar events in in the past, and maybe I'll even still participate from time to time. But I'll no longer participate and think, yeah, this is making a difference because I don't think holding a rally on the steps of your state capital really makes a difference. You know, like really changes anybody's minds or opinions. All, all it says is like, I know where I stand, and the people that are against you just reaffirms where they stand. Like they just go, ah, those crazy people. Like, you know, we don't see it eye to eye. It just, it, it, it doesn't do anything to bring people together. It just simply states where everybody stands. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. All right. Necessarily. But I'm more interested now at this time in my life in actually having conversations and discourse with political representatives, you know, house reps, state senators, or even on the federal level too. That's cool too. Um, even city council people, county commissioners, uh, other, you know, or even just my neighbors and just having conversations. Like that's, that's huge too. Like just, and not trying, I would say that I've had some interesting conversations with a few people, some neighbors or some that kind of live in my community that at one time I probably would have just like shut off and just, you know, not either wanted to talk to them or it would have just been a debate. And I'm much more interested in hearing them and what they have to think. Like I was, I was having a conversation recently with a lady that grew up in, in England. She's been in the States for a long time, but grew up in England. England's, especially if you're not brought up, especially if you're not brought up in the gun culture in, in the UK, like your idea towards guns is just Total, it's so biased, right? Well, what do you need those for? Like, that makes no sense. Like, they're just dangerous and scary. They just kill people. Like, this is her perspective, right? And I was legitimately trying to understand her as she shared with me her thoughts. I don't think she was really looking to understand anything from my side, but what I but I think there was still some progress made because. Because in my patient and respectful discourse with her, 
I, I was able to make some, some, uh, some points, you know, that caused her, I, I could see her just pause like who, you know, she still went back to where she was, but I'll tell you this much. I feel a lot more confident the next time that we have a conversation that we can advance that just a little bit more. And that's where I think we need, you know, I think that's where we win the two way battle is winning hearts and minds of people and maybe a few politicians along the way, but not really, you know, the, 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 the big in the public eye, you know, loud, obnoxious rally or whatever, like that's not really winning the hearts and minds. We win hearts and minds by talking to people one-on-one face to face. That's what I think. I'm sure there's some that will disagree. Jacob has no comment. comment. (laughs) Agree or disagree? I don't disagree. Yeah. Yeah. And I I, I think we're on the same page. I just don't have anything to add. I was, you know, just curious. Um, All right. Yeah. So um, I don't know, unless there's any kind of like, I mean, we could go on obviously for probably a long time. I've changed my mind about a lot of things. Uh, And actually in talking about some, I've realized that I, you know, others, um, but, uh, you know, we have been going for oh, 50, 53 minutes or so. So uh, unless there's any kind of like real simple fast ones you want to throw out there, Jacob. Mm, no, I'm good. All right. So I, I have an idea because it's been a while. Impromptu uh, pick of the week. Yeah. What do you say? Um. <laughs> I'll go because I'm ready. <laughs> All right, you do that. I'll think. <laughs> All right. So I uh recently I'm gonna be I'm holding this up in front of the camera. This is my uh P320 X Compact uh hybrid of sorts, because it's really a carry length slide on X Compact uh module. Uh I actually recently won a drawing at uh, Grey Guns, and with that I was able to to pick up this uh Grey Guns X Compact grip module. And I just got to say, because I got the Grey Guns grip module for my P365 and the extra stippling that they do and everything is just so nice. And I'll tell you, my X-Compact Jacob went from, with a standard grip module, went from pretty cool and comfortable in the hand and I shoot it fine to this is the perfect balance for me in good grip, you know, like just grippy, but not super, super, super aggressive. Uh, and I appreciate that they add some stippling where there's previously kind of just some some flat, non-textured uh, parts and like in the corners of the grip. Uh, really, really, really nice touch. Really well done. Uh, I, I'm a big, huge fan of Grey Guns and, and a lot of the stuff that Grey Guns is doing these days. So if you have a P320 or something, they they don't just have the X Compact. They have a number of of their of the different you know grip module uh, models. You can uh, try out one of the Grey Guns stippling jobs. Really, really, really super impressed. Now, do you have a pick of the week? Sure. So I really uh, recently have been playing a lot with the Umarex or Elite Force. I don't know which sub-brand it is, but it's all the same company. The Glock 19 Gen 3 Airsoft gun. Oh, yeah. Cool. I think, yeah, so Umarex does a great job with Airsoft guns. They, they may manufacture a large number of them. The company is owned by the same people who own Walther, but Umarex is, has the official license to manufacture uh, a, a large number of airsoft guns for different brands. They, you know, Beretta, Smith and Wesson, um, 
you know, certainly now Glock uh, and, and, and many others. So I, I thought, you know, this is worth checking out. And it showed up. And I was, I'm just really impressed by how comparable it is to my actual Glock 19 Gen 3. I mean, they are, they are, I mean if, you, if you remove that little orange thing off the front of the muzzle, I think you'd have a hard time at a first glance knowing which one is real and which one's the airsoft gun. So very yeah. impressed with it. And it's a, it's a great training tool. And it's also a great uh, children firearm training tool, something I can get my younger children uh, shooting without you know, loud noises and scary recoil, but they can start to develop some of those uh, handgun skills as well. So I'm a fan. Yeah. Plus you can do it in the garage or yeah. um, maybe not your backyard, but uh, no, not my backyard, but certainly in the basement, I could do it. <laughs> you don't have enough privacy. <laughs> no, no, that would, that would cause some red flags. Uh, I, you know, my, yeah, we've, we've done something similar uh, uh, in our basement or even in the garage or even our backyard. I have a little bit, a little bit more privacy. I got taller fences, for instance. Uh, my kids love shooting airsoft, man. And it's, it's, it's great, you know, because you can say, Hey kids, uh, you know, Saturday morning, like, let's do something. Let's go out in the backyard and shoot airsoft, you know? So yeah, good stuff, man. I love, I love, I love that pick. Well, that brings us kind of to a conclusion now of the concealed carry podcast. Uh, again, we encourage you to go check out guardian nation and get signed up. Ideally sign up for the quarterly membership. If you're not already a member, uh, you could actually upgrade to quarterly, Okay, just so you know, if you maybe you didn't know that, if you just signed up, for instance, this last month or even or even you know back in June, uh, you could still you could upgrade quarterly and still qualify for August box, and you're gonna want to do it too. So because you're gonna, I, I, a lot, I we've those of you that are in on the secret, <laughs> and I'll announce more officially here uh, probably in the next episode actually. Uh, those of you that are in on the end of this. Uh, We've had a lot of really positive and excite, exciting feedback from people about at least one of the products that's going to be in the next box. All right. So there's your hint. Go to guardianation.com, get signed up today. We hope to see you in the nation. So with that, uh, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, Jacob, you, you got anything special this weekend or the rest of today or just pretty much uh, business as usual? Business as usual. <laughs> Well, I hope you have a great weekend and I'm going to certainly uh, do my best. And everybody else to you, all of you in, in podcast land listening, we hope that you are safe, that you have a great day, a great weekend. Uh, we'll see you next week. We'll be right back here on Tuesday with the podcast, barring unforeseen uh, changes, which I don't anticipate at this time. And uh, so with that, a reminder to train right, train often and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast and fight true. Take care. Reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws. But things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.